Well, normally Pac-12 Media Day is uneventful, standard, and maybe a couple decent quotes here and there, but we actually learned something notable that'll affect the Ducks' defense. It just didn't have anything to do with Dan Lanning. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch this show. Media Day stuff, Justin Williams, five-star linebacker, commits today. Talk about that and kind of what I've been hearing as of late. And then we have a couple other topics to get to at the end of today's show. I've also loved this mold that we've developed or structure of the show where we have our three topics and then we have these fun mailbag questions at the end. I love it. So, Pac-12 Media Day. It came, it went, it was eventful for George Klyovkov more so than anybody else, but Dan Lanning and Bo Nix and Jeffrey Bassa were there. And that third name that I just mentioned in terms of representing the University of Oregon there, which I thought they all did very well, yeah, he was the most notable thing that took place, or rather that I saw or heard at Media Day, because Jeff Bossa looks huge. He looks mega big. I mean, I mean, he was sitting on stage. I, I didn't watch it all right away. I went back and you know watched some clips later and such. But I remember you know tuning into Pac-12 Network and. I remember seeing him and just wondering, is, is he going to snap his suit like Steve Martin in Father of the Bride? A classic, by the way. I mean, an absolute classic. One of my family's favorite all-time movies. But he's got the suit and it just barely fits and then he bends up. I was wondering if that was going to happen because he looks really, really big. Now, Jeffrey Bossa was... Uh, for those of you who don't remember, perhaps, or didn't know, he was a four-star recruit in 2021, part of Oregon's highest-rated recruiting class of all time, and he was recruited as a safety. Now, in that freshman season, he did move down to linebacker. He played linebacker a year ago, and PFF was not particularly kind when it came to assessing his performance from a season ago. I think part of that was the new system, and part of that as well is that he had a particularly poor run grade. His pass coverage grade was higher than his run defense grade, which I think tracks with what we saw from him, which is he actually does some nice things in coverage and has the speed to keep up with a linebacker, but the size to keep up with a tight end. I think in zone coverage, he got a little bit lost at times a year ago. I think that that will get a lot better for him this season as he has a second year in the system. But the other thing that he struggled with was defending the run. He was, you know, a decent blitzer at times, had a sack in the Holiday Bowl that looked uh, really good, but was a little inconsistent with that. But the biggest thing with him was as he came down from safety, he hadn't quite made the physical transition. So as a result, you oftentimes saw him getting pushed around more than you would like by offensive linemen, tight ends, and the like, and anybody else who was blocking him. I don't think that's going to happen as much. Now, the reports, they don't have a specific number, but he has put on 15 to 20 pounds, and it looks like it is pure muscle. There may be a little bit of you know thickness he's added in the midsection, but man, he, 
He looked bulky. He looked big. He looked more like a linebacker, not like a guy who's, you know, undergoing that sort of transition or is trying to get up to that weight. He looks like he's at that weight. Last year, he was playing at about 210 pounds at six foot two. He's expected to be closer to 230 pounds. 225, 230 is kind of the best estimation anybody can really get at, at this point in time. I've seen, you know, they don't have anything listed on the Oregon website, but I've seen 230 cited a couple places. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. And so if he's able to bring that element and be a physical run stopper to Oregon's linebacking core, in addition to improving his pass coverage skills, then he can be a good linebacker for the Ducks. And I think that he is someone who, you know, has had some really nice moments, has also had some not as great moments over the last couple of years. But I think Dan Lanning bringing him to Pac-12 Media Day is pretty indicative of the fact that he expects Bossa to be a key part of the rotation. And he, when asked about the linebackers, you know, basically said that, uh, not basically, he did say that, you know, you don't have that traditional Mike linebacker anymore. And you don't have even really a Mike. I mean, you technically have, you know, a Mike and a money backer in, you know, this particular defensive scheme, but it's not a four, three where you have a Mike, Will and Sam, right. in the traditional, uh, you know, base form of, of that sort of defense where your Mike is kind of your run stuffer and your, uh, you know, Will and your Sam backers, weak side, strong side are the guys who are, you know, maybe a little bit more nimble can get out to the edges and such. You have to have guys who can cover. You have to have guys who can move. You have to have guys that can do a little bit of everything, but particularly have the sort of speed. And if Boss is able to keep the speed with with his, with his new playing weight, I don't think that can mean anything but good, but good news for the Ducks defensively. I'm not saying it's going to revolutionize the defense, but it can't be anything but positive. And it looks like, you know, the coaching staff and Jeffrey Boss as well have identified, you know, how he can get better from a year ago. And it looks like they're implementing that. That was literally my biggest takeaway from Oregon stuff at Pac-12 Media Days. Because I turned on the TV and it was just, it was just hitting me in the face. You know, it looked like a guy who suddenly I wouldn't want to hit me in the, in the face. Uh, you know, in the football sense, of course. Or in any sense, frankly. Because he's just a big, big dude. So, I like seeing that. I liked hearing Dan Lanning's thoughts on the linebackers. Kind of indicated, you know, what, we, uh, what we'd suspect at this point in time and you know we'll we'll do uh here on the show full position group stuff as time goes on leading up to uh the season we'll also start talking about games really soon i'm so excited football is really really close like really really close we're like just over a month away from having actual real important mattering college football on our television screens it's 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 a grand and glorious time now, if you're looking for my thoughts on George Klyovkov, Pac-12 media deal, yada, 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 go check out Locked On Pac-12, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now, you can you can get it there. But uh, I think Bossa is, I think Bossa looking huge like that, I thought that was good. Uh, you know, Lanning said of him, quote, he's a guy who's put in the hard work, now gone through the process of changing himself and his body, exhibits the traits we want our players to have. Uh, there were a couple other quotes from Lanning that uh, I want to get to, but the the other linebackers that he mentioned by name, in terms of you know who else is going to be part of the position group, are the guys we'd expect. You're right, Justin Jacobs, Iowa transfer, Connor Swelly, 
or Connor Soley, the Arizona State transfer. Jamal Hill coming down from the safety position. Jeffrey Bossa at Pac-12 Media Day. Devin Jackson, who he said has had a really good offseason. I think has got a lot of upside. He's a really, really fast player. A little bit smaller, but he's a really, really fast player. I thought I had some nice moments in uh, in the spring game for sure. And Lanning is, you know, talking him up. So I think we'll see all those guys at one point in time. Because if you think about, you know, the linebackers that Oregon had, a season ago, just to kind of you know put a bow on on this point. You had Jeffrey Bossa last year. You had Noah Sewell. You had Justin Flo. You had Jackson LeDuc, and you had Keith Brown. Those five guys who played meaningful snaps throughout the course of the season. So you have to have more than just two or three players there. And I think Oregon's got some real potential. I, I'm most intrigued to see what uh, what what Jamal Hill can do. But I was intrigued to see what Dan Lanning would say, and I thought he had some interesting quotes. You can find a lot of interesting information, though, over at eBay Motors. For a championship team, like the way Oregon hopes this season will go, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. Like Jeffrey Bossa into the linebacker position, getting his body to be a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay. I was finishing off the water in that cup there because I'd recorded Pac-12 already, so it was a little, little low. That's why that looked like I was throwing it back like a shot of vodka, which it was not ice cold, crisp, clean, delicious Oregon water. So other quotes from Lanning that I thought were were noteworthy, not ground altering necessarily, but that when I was listening, I went, oh, that's kind of that stands out a little bit. So when he was asked about the pass rush, he thought that they have uh, or he thinks rather not past tense, present tense, thinks they have better depth, a better understanding of what they're trying to accomplish, done well in recruiting translation he feels that he has better players this year than he had a season ago that's been my assessment as well that's been the assessment of many of you and i hope that that plays out on on the field because that's kind of the biggest thing that oregon has to has to improve upon defensively from a year ago because and then lanning was uh, later asked about stopping the best quarterbacks in the league because there are so many great ones this is the best quarterback league in the country he said something interesting about trying to figure out what they do best and stop it. I think this ties more back to the pass rush. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to take away what a quarterback does best but and, and stop it. But I think that that is kind of piggybacking off of the pass rush element because think about Caleb Williams, for instance. What does he do best? I mean, you could pick anything, right? But let's say it's making throws on the run. How do you stop him from doing that? You have to contain him in the pocket. You have to pressure him in the pocket. Well, how do you do that? You have a good enough defensive line. Let's go to Michael Penix in Washington. What does he do best? He's an accurate thrower of the football from a clean pocket. He is not a great runner or a great guy throwing on the run. He's capable, but he's not great at it. Not compared to what he can do in the pocket where he can slice and dice like he did at Austin a year ago. 
How do you disrupt that? You have a really, really good pass rush. And if you just keep going down the list, you know, we got a lot of pressure on Cam Risings. Why he threw, what was it, three interceptions in the game? He threw one uh, one to Bennett Williams, two to Bennett Williams. There was one more. Like, there was pressure in that game. Second half of the Holiday Bowl against Drake May, or frankly, the entire Holiday Bowl. Oregon's defense was mostly good because they got pressure a little bit more than normal and disrupted him. I think they could have been better in that game with their pass rush contained, but overall, that was something that they did better than they had throughout the course of uh, the season. So I'm curious to see how that dynamic plays out, but I really think it's all going to come down to uh, the defensive line there. Uh, He also said he's not worried about recruiting in the pack going forward, no matter what the media rights situation or, you know, going against USC and UCLA or in the Big Ten or anything like that. I'll touch on that in just a moment. Uh, Recognize that offensive line chemistry was a weakness coming into spring ball that they have examined and that they have been putting in, you know, big time effort to address that because you have so many new players up there. Jackson Powers Johnson, likely your new center, new left tackle, most likely Josh Connerly. That's something that we've also discussed here on the show and landing again, echoing that saying, hey, this is something that, you know, we know and, you know, feel good about, but it's something that they had to address and it's something to watch. And, you know, I think Lanning's going to give typically a more rosy picture of how things are going to be. I'll just say in short for now, I'm really glad we get a tune-up game before we play Texas Tech, mostly for, for the offensive line. Uh, And then the last thing on the linebackers I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, He said, quote, The day and age of having an old linebacker who can go B-gap to B-gap or C-gap to C-gap, that's not a reality anymore. And he feels like he has those sorts of body types in the room now. And the body types they're bringing in can also fit. So one guy who would fit that most definitely is Justin Williams. Now, he'd be Oregon's third linebacker commit. If he does end up choosing the Ducks, he's scheduled to commit today, July 24th. Five-star, top 20 player in the 2024 cycle. Ducks are still looking for that first five-star recruit in next year's class. They don't have it right now. Williams, for a long time, had crystal balls to Oregon. Things have kind of shifted to Georgia. What I have heard, and I don't know what time you're listening to or watching this show, he may have already committed. He might not have. I've heard it's a Georgia lean, but not a Georgia lock. So we're not out of it, but we are not currently the favorite to land him. So, and I've texted multiple people about that who have all told me the same thing. Don't know a lot. Don't know enough to say definitively it's this one or that one. Oregon's got a chance, a good chance, but Georgia should be seen as as the favorite at this point in time. Kind of feels like a like a 60-40 Georgia versus Oregon. But Getting down to this point, look at who we're going up against. It's the same guy. Like, this is 2024. This is, this is you know, new pack, whatever it ends up looking like, pack 10, pack 12, I don't know. We're, we're not going to the Big Ten, right? We're not in the Big Ten. And there's all this, you know, I, I don't know about all of this, but there are, you know, Dan Lanning was asked about this. So some people clearly have concerns about, well, are you going to be able to continue recruiting the Big Ten? Dan Lanning said, look, we're focused on Oregon and what we can do. And we've been able to have success and we'll continue to do so. I'm not worried about it. And if Justin Williams chooses Georgia, this is not an indictment on Oregon not being in the Big Ten and being in the pack. I don't see it that way at all if he does end up choosing the Bulldogs. I see it as that's Kirby Smart, and those are the two-time defending national champions over there. They're going to be hard to recruit against regardless, and it's not as if we're going up against 
a Big Ten team for Justin Williams. So I, I would love to get him, of course. You would then have three blue chip linebackers in next year's class who all, you know, kind of fit the mold that that Dan Lanning's looking for. But you know, Elijah rushing, Oregon looked really good until the end, and then it got he got flipped to not flipped, but he you know was trending towards Oregon, and then all of a sudden it was Arizona. And for a long time, Justin Williams was trending towards Oregon. Now it looks like Georgia. Hopefully, we're able to pull a little rabbit out of the hat there. That would be great, not just to boost the recruiting rankings, but to have players of that caliber on your roster is historically how you build a team that can get to a national championship. But it looks like Oregon will be back to the drawing board on getting their first five-star in the 2024 cycle. There are still options out there, right? Brandon Baker, number one offensive tackle. Williams Moneri out of the Kansas City area, number one defensive lineman. Aiden Breland, five-star defensive lineman out of modern day. Probably not a guy like Jordan Ross, who's a five-star edge uh, that's that, that's out there and doesn't really have like a clear direction at this point in time. But I don't expect Oregon to just completely miss on five stars in the 2024 cycle. It'd be a little disappointing if that did happen. Hopefully they get Williams. Hopefully that's a sign of good things to come if it happens. But we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But I'm not you know long term worried about Oregon being able to recruit. I mean look at look at where they're at in the recruiting process right now or in the recruiting rankings, rather, in the midst of the process. And nothing has changed on the realignment or the conference front. Pac-12 still doesn't have a media deal. Like, I, I, I think concerns on that front are wildly, wildly uh, overblown. All right, let's get into the mailbag, which you can always be a part of, by the way. This came from Bud. Now, if you want to be like Bud and have a question answered here on the show, you can, of course, do that. You can hit me up in the YouTube comments. I always monitor those. Or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. This from Bud. Mailbag. How often do coaches use silent commits to create energy with commitments? And does this impact other coaches in holding scholarships for players who have no interest in signing with their schools? So... The term silent commit, I won't say it's one I've heard, but I know that I, I know what Bud is, is is referring to here. And that's the idea that you know a kid is choosing your school, but you want him to announce it at a certain time. I think for a select few players in a class, you could have this be the case. There is a level of coordination, right? There is a level of give and take between a recruit and the school as to, hey, you came on a visit tweet about the visit, post a picture or something like that, and then we're going to tweet about it or something like that. Or when you commit, we're you know going to have a video ready for, for something like that. But for kids like Justin Williams, it's on the kid. He's choosing his own, his own timeline here. Now, over the past couple of years, you will see a small handful of recruits who commit to the Ducks and they are tweeting out a video that has... I don't know if copyright is the right word, but basically video that is licensed to the University of Oregon or broadcast entities uh, pertaining to the Pac-12 or ESPN or whoever. Those are announcements that are coordinated ahead of time. But my, my memory of which kids have done that, I don't remember all the specific ones, is that those have been kids who you know might be you know high three or four star recruits, but are not the big battles like this. So the battle that I remember the most 
to just like kind of put a point on this is Josh Connerly. So when Connerly committed, there was a video that went around. It's hilarious. And it's just emblematic of why Lanning is a great recruiter and why I, I really like him. He is going crazy. He is like red face, excited. He is thrilled. He's going right up into the camera. And someone within the athletic department or on the coaching staff was Instagram live or was you know filming the reaction to get it live. They didn't know who Connerly was going to select. I don't think that the coaches know who Justin Williams is going to select. They might have an idea, but they I don't think they know for a kid like this 100%. I think the kid leaves that open to, you know, kind of the final moments of, you know, the press conference and, you know, committing at his high school or in the library and the gymnasium or wherever. I don't know why I said gymnasium instead of just gym. I'm a dork. Anyway, so I, I think that that's how these things tend to play out. You know, with Connerly, you can tell from Lanning's reaction and the reaction of the coaches around him, they did not know. They did not know where he was going. They were watching on the 24-7 sports channel, just like you and me, Connerly put on the hat and then they were all excited. And this year we're going to find out exactly why they were so excited. I mean, they used him a year ago and Connerly was good, but now he's set up probably to be Oregon's starting left tackle and looked really, really good in, in the spring game in that particular role. And that's, of course, a very important position. So I think there, are, there, there is some level of coordination. You know, when visits happen, you know, all the recruits tweeting out, like, after a great visit with Dan Lanning and company, uh, or I had a great visit, or, you know, all, all that sort of stuff that goes out there that's content, that's attention, uh, you know, putting all the flash and the pomp and circumstance and, and everything like that. There is a level of, you know coordination between the player and the school but pretty rarely do you have a kid committing and then tweet it when you see the video get tweeted out of highlights of the university of oregon that's when you know it was a quote-unquote silent commitment but justin williams i don't think he's going to be that that's one where everybody is going to find out and they've been i've also heard from several people who cover recruiting that kids are becoming more and more tight-lipped and that information can be harder to get out. So, you know, Williams announced that he's committing today. He did that a while, ba a while back. Maybe he doesn't commit today. Maybe he pushes back. I don't know. Uh, it seems like kids are getting a little bit more muted on that front. So it's nice when you get an actual hard date. I know Brian Smith uh, said last week on the show that he very much appreciated when he was able to actually get a hard date uh, as to when a kid was announcing his, his commitment because it just kind of makes life a, a little bit easier uh, in that sense. The other part of Bud's question, does this impact other coaches in holding scholarships for players who have no interest in signing with their schools? This is where it's such a collaborative team effort with the coaches and the recruiting staff. Remember, there is an entire, there are people who have full-time jobs, recruiting coordinator, recruiting scout, chief of staff, director of player personnel, all of these people work together. And so the, the way that I believe it works is, you know, a kid is going to commit, he's choosing, and then if he chooses a different school, the position coach slash coordinator or both go back and, you know, get in the boardroom with, uh, with, with, the, with the personnel people and say, okay, so he didn't commit. 
and we would like to get this position. So who else is on our list? And then they're going to, you know, increase the amount of contact they're having with that kid or go out and see him play or, you know, what, what, what have you. But that's the important thing to remember is, yeah, coaches are forming the relationships with the kids, but identifying them, understanding all the, all the logistics of it and finding, you know, the kids film, getting it to coaches and scheduling visits and everything like that. Player personnel, chiefs of staff, all those sorts of people. Really, really important. So good question there. All right, here's our fun question to end today. Again, I love this structure. Like there, there are great mailbag questions out there, like that one from Bud, that are worthy of a quote unquote serious segment, as serious as college sports can be, of course, because they're, you know, very, very fun. But kind of like off topic of sorts, you know, I've had food questions, I've had you know, like travel questions, you know, all that sort of stuff. Send it all to me. Again, YouTube comments or Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Ask me anything. Just no religion, no politics. Won't do those things. Other than that, I'm an open book. Ask away. Beginner Catholic and everyday are out there. Asked for five key underrated all-time plays for Oregon football in my lifetime. So ones that I have seen that have played a key role in defining a season or a stretch of Oregon football over a couple seasons, perhaps, that are underrated. Number one, these these are ranked in order one to five. Number one, in the 2012 Rose Bowl game from the 2011 season, when Oregon finally, one of my favorite moments as an Oregon football fan, when Oregon finally broke through after losing the prior two years, and they won a BCS game, and it was the Rose Bowl, and it was awesome. The big plays everybody thinks of in that game, the DeAnthony Thomas long touchdown and the Michael Clay fumble recovery, an underrated play from that game, the most underrated, is on the final drive for Oregon's offense, when it ended up being the final drive, they converted a fourth and six, and it was from DT to LT. Darren Thomas to Lavazier Tuane. If they hadn't converted that, if they hadn't gone for it, it would have been a 47-yard field goal for Alejandro Maldonado. Who thinks he's making that? I don't. So that's the first thing. The second thing is at the end of that game, Wisconsin, we were in prevent defense and Russell Wilson was picking us apart and they ended up running out of time. And picking up that first down, chewed up more clock. And then they ran out of time and we won the game. So that's the most underrated play. Second one. As the program was ascending under Mike Bellotti, and then of course it elevated under Chip, you have to have games and moments that kind of signify to the rest of the college football world and to recruits, hey, we're here. We're ready to compete. We're building something, right? As Deion Sanders would say, we come. We're coming. We're on the rise, right? All that sort of stuff. I think an underrated play, 2007, USC, Autzen Stadium, Matthew Harper, game-clinching interception. USC was still the top dog. Now, I could have picked a play from 2009, Right, because that was the moment where there was a power shift. Pete Carroll then left for the Seahawks. Chip Kelly ran him out of Autzen Stadium with Masoli and Lamichael James. Could have picked a play from that, except we just kind of routed him in that game. But we'd beaten USC the year prior, 
or no, the two years prior, the the time before at Autzen Stadium because of that Matthew Harper INT. That was a 24-17 game, Dennis Dixon in the house. Number three, in the 2010 undefeated regular season that led to a national championship berth against Auburn, Dyer was down. We didn't have a great offensive day against Cal. In fact, our lone touchdown in the game was a Cliff Harris punt return. If that doesn't happen, does Oregon win the game? Maybe, but maybe not. And if they're 11-1, and this was pre-Pac-12 championship, remember, does Oregon get into the natty? Perhaps not. So Cliff Harris punt return at Cal, back when Cal was a little bit more respectable than they are now. Though Cal could be sneaky nice this year. I'm going to pick them as a bowl-eligible team on Locked On Pac-12. But... The Cliff Harris punt return in 2010 against Cal. 2018, that big upset against, well, upset of sorts. We were 17th, Washington was 7th. The moment when Oregon finally felt like they were back under Mario Cristobal, the big play was the C.J. Verdell touchdown or the Peyton Henry missed field goal. Both iconic. Absolutely. Two underrated plays in that game. Number one. The touchdown pass to Jalen Red before the half. Herbert is rolling left. He throws a dart, an absolute strike. I mean, it's a bullet, and Jalen Red's barely able to catch it, and he makes an acrobatic play. It pops up into the air. He catches it, gets a foot down. You get a touchdown before the half. That game went to overtime, remember. In overtime, this is the other play, we ended up scoring the game-winning touchdown. We had a third and 11 And Dylan Mitchell just put the moves on a Washington corner. Herbert hit him. We got the first down, went down, scored the touchdown. Underrated plays from that game. And finally, in 2014, when Oregon went to the national championship game, Marcus Mariota down at the Rose Bowl. I was there with my brother and dad in person. That was a good UCLA team. They were ranked uh, in the top 25 at the time. He had so many great plays from that iconic Heisman season. But one that somehow seems to get lost in the weeds that I don't see pop up often is when he fumbled the ball to himself and scored a touchdown. If he fumbles that ball to UCLA and they score a touchdown, suddenly that's a different game and a 14-point swing. Kalen Clay at Utah come to mind? Anyway, so those would be my top five most underrated plays. That was a fun segment to do. The 4th and 6th conversion of the Rose Bowl in 2012. Matthew Harper pickoff of uh, USC in 2007 to clinch it. Cliff Harris punt return in 2010. The 2018 game against Washington, you had the pass to Jalen Red uh, to score a touchdown right before the half. And you had the 3rd and 11 to Dylan Mitchell in overtime. And then the Mariota fumble, uh, the self-scoop and score. Your five most underrated Oregon football plays of my lifetime. Let me know what you think in the comments section. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.